0: Welcome to the Krieg DeVault Podcast, where we discuss the latest news, laws, and trends affecting your industry.
1: Welcome back to the Krieg DeVault Podcast. I'm your host, George Lepin-Yotis. I am joined today by two of my colleagues who I work with routinely and uh, I like to call friends. Scott Frizzell, one of our uh, associates here at the firm, and my partner, Dave Adams. Gentlemen, thanks for being with us today.
2: Thank you, George. Thanks for having us.
1: So the podcast is our opportunity to reach out to our clients as well as other people who have questions or are looking for more information on legal topics. And today we've come together to discuss uh, a topic that probably comes up more often than we like to admit, and that is, what is the best way for a company or an individual to purchase real estate? But before we get to that topic, I'd like you each to spend a little bit of time just telling our our, our audience and our listeners a little bit more about yourselves. Let's start with you, Dave. Dave, you are the um, you are the chair of our real estate practice group, and I know you're very experienced in that. Tell us a little bit more.
2: Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, my uh, clients normally are developers and investors in in real estate of all um, sorts and sizes, and so you know, in that we work with our clients to structure relationships such as this and ownership and uh, financing owning operating leasing disposing of real estate and you know anything we can do to help our clients in that area
1: and um, how long have you been with Creek?
2: Uh, I'm in my fourth year here, but I've been practicing for over 20 years and doing uh, commercial real estate and finance and uh, general business law.
1: Yeah, and I think that your practice here, you're one of Indianapolis's uh, preeminent real estate attorneys. So. Well, thank you. Uh, thanks for uh, being here today to make our podcast a better product. Uh, Scott, um, you are... Uh, As an associate here at the firm, you do a little bit of everything, but uh, you have some specific practice areas you enjoy doing.
0: Yeah. So my main practice areas are public finance and municipal law with uh, tax emphasis. Um, So I also do a lot of real estate work that ties into the public finance side with TIF, which is tax increment financing. So I represent developers and municipalities with structuring those incentives figuring out how to structure the ownership to receive those incentives. And so the LLCs come in all the time. So happy to talk about this today. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So let's get to it. Um, you know, I I think most of our listeners are probably sophisticated enough that they've gone through a real estate transaction. So I don't want to go to 101, but would like to talk a little bit about the real estate transaction. In general, corporate, municipal, nonprofit, and individual clients purchase real estate on a day-to-day basis. Um, There are lots of nuances to that process and things to consider. And and I do this sometimes in this podcast. I will preface this with saying, if you're considering buying a piece of real estate, probably the number one investment you can make up front is hiring a lawyer to help you get through that process. Would you both agree with that?
2: Yeah, yeah absolutely.
1: Especially nowadays with just the nuance. You you talked about TIF and incentives. and uh, There are so many different things to consider when you are looking at an investment in real estate that a good attorney can bring value to the planning process long before you're even ready to pull the trigger. I, you know, I've, I've had clients come to me, I'm sure you have too, Dave, and Amy and, and Scott, with signed letters of intent in hand. And, and I often say, gosh, you brought me in after the fact almost. Um, really, at the planning stage, when you're even just starting to think about it, I often recommend people call me or their attorney, whoever that might be.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I would agree with that. And we can add value um, early on in the process. And even in the letter of intent stage, as you mentioned, George, like just in helpful hints and try to pitfalls to avoid and things to head off, which if you can catch them at the early negotiation stage, and makes the rest of the process a lot easier. And there are a lot of considerations to go in, in planning and acquire real estate. It's not just as simple as like, well, can I protect myself just by buying insurance? Well, that, that's only part of the story. Of course, insurance should be there, but there's a lot of other considerations.
1: I, I agree. And I think that um, I often tell people who, who will ask me, well, I had a, I had an agent that was working on it. And I said, that's great but an agent works for the deal, right? An attorney works for you. I, and I affectionately say the attorney gets paid whether or not the deal closes, the agent does not. And so there is a real distinct dichotomy between who you can really look to, to give you that honest, brutally honest advice about the real estate deal. So with that in mind, the second question I usually get is, all right, do I want to buy How do I want to buy this? Where do I want to put this real estate? Um, you know, let's talk a little bit about that. First off, let's talk about the reasons that we might want to separate real estate holdings from other holdings. And, um, you know, in my previous practice, I was a litigator and I, I would see liabilities and how they're created on real estate from simple things in a northern climate like slip and fall to more complicated things like takings and, and other types of liabilities. What is the reason we look to an entity? or even a special purpose entity when we're buying real estate.
2: Yeah, and I think you hit on it, George, and that's the limited liability protection that an entity offers. And regardless of the type of entity, um, most of them will offer the limited liability protection that you're looking for, um, provided that you know you observe the um, organizational formalities that are required with those entities and treating them Separate as apart from your individual, including commingling assets and accounts and things like that. Um, but that's the primary reason why we look to an entity structure uh, at, at the outset uh, for ownership. And that includes, as you mentioned, slip and fall, but also can include environmental liabilities and things like that. And what we're the goal, overall goal is to limit your personal financial risk, if you will, into your personal investment in the real estate and not expose your other kind of unrelated assets to liabilities that may be incurred in the operation and ownership of that real estate asset
1: yeah scott as you look to those um formalities right that that dave talked about how important is that i mean it seems to me many people believe that they just start an entity and forget about it. That isn't the case, is it?
0: No, I mean, there's definitely corporate formalities that need to be followed. Um, Maintaining your organizational documents, adopting those, following them, um, making sure you're complying with state statutes for the organization. Um, The the downfall is if you don't maintain it as a distinct organization from your personal dealings, you could have um, liability where a court could pierce the corporate veil limited liability and attack your personal um, assets to pay for those liabilities. So, it's it's extremely important to maintain those corporate formalities. Yeah.
1: So, as we look to the entities, we keep talking about limited liability and most people are familiar with what's called an LLC or a limited liability company. Uh, We've done previous episodes on this. So, for our listeners that maybe want more information, there are other episodes detailing out those forms. But, the LLC lends itself extremely well to real estate purchase. Why is that?
2: Well, I think um, it, well, I view the LLC as kind of a hybrid between a partnership and a corporation. And the corporation, the lim- again, the desired limited liability standpoints that maybe a general partnership, or even if you choose to own the real estate personally in your own name, that there's no shield there, there's no offer, there's no offer of limited liability there. So it's really a nice hybrid, right? The LLC provides... Um, I think the overall flexibility that you need in terms of management and allocation of sort of economic interests uh, in the venture that you don't have as much flexibility with as in other uh, entity forms of ownership.
1: Dave, I want to dig a little deeper there. And you you mentioned a concept that, that is very interesting to me and some of our clients, I believe, and that is that partnership. A lot of times we see investment groups purchasing real estate because... Larger real estate parcels, especially urban parcels. Uh, you know, we sit here at our downtown Indianapolis offices in Regions Tower. Um, I'm not sure uh, who owns it, but these types of buildings are so large and so expensive that a lot of times they are a partnership, a, a number of investors. And that 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 general partnership with limited investors and and, and uh, general, inv- uh, I'm sorry, limited partners and general partners uh, is a vehicle to, to pool money. But oftentimes, there's also an LLC involved, mm-hmm. even beyond that. Um, the LLC is not necessarily just restricted to one person or one company looking to buy a piece of real estate. It is almost a required filter. Is that a, is that a good way of putting it? A require a required block. So to speak,
2: yeah. I mean, again, it's it's there, and then the flexibility is because you have individuals who are actively involved in the day to day management of the asset, um, and those in in sort of the partnership structure are generally referred to as a general partner. And then you have investors who have a limited role in the operation, and oftentimes have very restricted or no voting rights. Um, and those are typically you know the limited partners in the venture. And although you know we kind of we throw those terms around a little bit generically and in, in the real estate investment structure, they're referred to different things, but it's kind of the basic economic and organizational principles behind them. It's just a matter of <clears throat> what kind of terminology you're using and what are the documents that we typically need to put in place to formalize those venture structures. And,
1: and it's funny because I mean, I, I often routinely see partnerships creating that economic being that economic vehicle for driving real estate purchase. But ultimately i don't see that partnership actually purchasing the real estate the actual buyer is an llc Mm -hmm. yes
2: yeah Yeah. and that can be again and oftentimes the 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 ultimate quote-unquote partnership will be at a at a different level of the overall organizational structure and then you you could have that ownership and ownership group investing in a number of different real estate assets. And those real estate assets could be owned by separate limited liability companies that have yeah. different layers of ownership and things like that. And the best thing about, you know, the limited liability company structure is we're, we're allowed to have that flexibility in how we structure that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. Scott, you talked a little bit about incentives and tiffs at the beginning of this podcast. And I think I wanted to touch, I wanted to circle back to that because that has become such a big part of, 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 real estate development anyways. I don't it's probably not quite as applicable in the purchasing of an existing facility, although there are probably are some reasons why that might come into play. but really a new development, especially in places like Indiana where we have smaller communities that are growing and on a fast track to growth, um, there are economic incentives. Does the structure of the buyer entity affect your ability? to qualify for some of those?
0: The structure of the entity generally doesn't. It's the tax consequences of that structure. So there's way, generally an LLC is either a single member or multi-member. And at the IRS level, a single member is taxed as a sole proprietor or disregarded entity. So it's taxed at the individual owner level on their 10, their individual 1040 tax form. Uh, a multi-member part, LLC is taxed as a partnership automatically, but they could elect to be taxed as a corporation or C corporation, C corporation or S corporation, sorry. Um, so th- the structure generally doesn't matter, but there are tax considerations you want to think about when structuring the entity for those incentives. For example, one deal we're working on now, it's a TIF bond, and there's a IRC 118 that allows uh, TIF proceeds to be treated as a capital contribution to the entity. So, the entity is not going to pay tax on those incentives versus if you just took it as a general LLC, as a partnership, not under 118, then it would be ordinary income to the LLC's partners.
1: So, the structure is extremely important because I mean, you could be talking about tens of thousands of dollars, even hundreds of thousands of dollars in tax consequence, yes, that's depending correct. on the amount of the incentive. Yep. Okay. Um, and at what stage? Do you look to identify that incentive? Is it important to know before you structure the entity that the incentives in play? Is that something that we always investigate before we set up
0: an entity? Yeah, it's definitely important to look at that early on in the project, uh, before you structure the entity because there's timing considerations with the IRS on when you can elect to be an S corporation. So if you created the entity and waited six months, you may not qualify to be an S Corp for that year. So it's, it's extremely important to think about those things ahead of time before you form those entities. Yeah,
1: yeah. That's, um, I think that goes back to my disclaimer earlier. Uh, buying real estate is not uh, anywhere near a simple process. And um, you know, there's that sophistication level that a firm like Creek DeVault can bring to the process that can really have a large impact on economic viability, right?
2: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, all right. Shifting gears a little bit as we look to the general real estate transaction, I did want to talk just briefly about other types of structures. I mean, um, you know, we know that the that the LLC gets most of the love. It is, in fact, most of the times the right. Way to buy things, but there are other nuances to the law, and uh, you know we talked a little bit before we went on air about tenants in common. Some of our listeners may have heard of that phrase or your tenancy. Um, let's talk a little bit about that, just because you sometimes see it, especially nowadays where the ten thirty one exchanges are becoming a little bit more popular, uh, and 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 people have dollars to bring in that they were trying to avoid additional tax on. Um, What is a tenant in common, Dave?
2: Well, tenant in common interest is just another way to um, structure the overall and the underlying basic ownership of the asset. Um, In each tenant, in the tenant in common uh, relationship, still has to ask the same questions. You're just buying the interest. You're buying the real estate in a different way. And so um, the most common form of ownership is, is usually the fee, what's called fee-simple ownership, meaning you own everything, you own 100% of it, and a tenant in common interest is really just sort of splitting that up among different entities, if you will.
1: And when you split it up among different entities, you also split up the rights to the real estate, correct? Correct. And so in splitting up the rights to the real estate, uh, we are, we must be careful in how we do that orderly, correct? And and uh, tell us a little bit about it. I, it's often funny when I'm when I'm hosting this podcast. I, I I've got to I don't, I don't want to be quite the attorney, but as I know what this is, but I, I guess I'm just asking you to explain it a little bit more for our listeners. What is a tenant in common agreement?
2: Yeah, it's another form of a partnership agreement because you are in the venture together with another party or other parties, and so. Uh, there should be an agreement in place that um, discusses how business decisions are made with respect to operation of the real estate. How does it get leased? How does it get developed? How does it get financed? How does it get sold if, if you want to do that? And how, how do you have, because you are now in a very personal relationship with this other entity, um, how, how, is, how are the entities coming and going so to speak, and yeah. so, as a as a as an asset, the inner the ownership interest in the real estate is freely transferable. You can transfer your tenant in common interest to a third party. Um, however, because of the close nature of these relationships, they are in fact partnerships. You're operating this venture together for profit. Hopefully, um, I want to know who I'm in business with. Yeah,
1: yeah, and you don't you want to limit who you might be in business with tomorrow. You also need to limit. What can happen to the property? Correct, because correct. tenants and commons have equal rights to the to the property. Um, yeah, I uh, you know it's something that comes up fairly regularly in questions. I don't see it too much in practice, and I think you probably agree with that. But there is oftentimes that conversation. Um, you know, guys, uh, any last thoughts on the process of entering into a real estate transaction and what? Uh, key considerations might be for setting yourself up for success?
2: Well, and, and and I'll let Scott weigh in on this as well. I think, again, we hit on it earlier, is that you know we can out add value very early on and just sort of, sort of talking about and asking those probative questions like what are you concerned about? What do you want to do? What's your long-term goal with respect to this asset? And help we can help at the beginning kind of planning stages and getting you off on the right foot and making sure that you have the right, Individuals at the table to help make sure that your project overall is put in the best position for success.
1: Yeah, um, and I'm going to let uh, Scott have some thoughts as well. But I was, you know, following up on that. I I tell my clients real estate can be as simple as you want it to be, but so can automobiles, so can healthcare, so can food, and sometimes simple isn't better. And a lot of times, adding that layer of sophistication to the real estate planning process will make the entire transaction that much more profitable. Uh, And Scott, maybe even you can talk a little bit about as as you you wrap us up here, uh, you know, from a tax perspective.
0: Yeah, I mean, I agree with everything George and David said. From my perspective, the tax side, you always want to consider what the tax implications are going to be from the entity structure you do uh, use for the real estate purchase. One thing that People often overlook is when you own an LLC, you are self-employed. So there are taxes that you have to pay, you know, the employment, the social security and Medicare taxes. And when you work for a company, the company normally pays half of those taxes. So you're going to be paying the full 15.3% tax as of 2022 for your income. If it is an active business, if it's passive, you just own it, rental property, receive the rental income, and that's all. You, you may be excluded from that, but I mean, th- that's a tax consideration you have to take into uh, account when structuring your entity. Um, just thinking about general taxes, how you report them, whether you're a disregarded entity and it gets reported on your individual return. Um, the same with partnership, it's disregarded. It's it's a pass through, sorry. So the income passes through to the owners, but the partnership still has to file an in- information. Tax return with the IRS so that they know that those individual owners are accurately reporting on their individual returns. So, tax is a huge area to be uh, concerned with when forming an entity. Yeah, 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 that's
1: right. And and during that real estate acquisition or development process. Well, thank you both. Uh, very informative, and I hope our listeners agreed. Uh, once again, thank you for joining us today. Uh, hopefully you've found the information here useful. If you'd like more information about our real estate practice here at Creek DeVault, go to our website at www.creekdevault.com where you can find both Dave and uh, Scott's bios, along with links to other thought leadership and other useful information or ways to contact them directly uh, for uh, further uh, analysis and opinion. Uh, thanks again and have a great night.